Welcome to Chi Alpha at the University of Virginia. This podcast is a collection of messages designed to help you grow in our three anchors of real devotional life, real community, and real responsibility. We hope that you enjoy this message and that it encourages you in your spiritual growth. things that we've learned about Jesus. Like at the, with the woman at the well, we learned that Jesus is the thirst quencher, right? When, when it came to, uh, to Jesus uh, healing the man who, had, who, who was a paralytic, that we found out that Jesus was the Sabbath giver as he brought the, the man's Sabbath in a way he hadn't experienced in 38 years. Then we, uh, Sarah talked about how Jesus was the light giver. He came and restored sight to a man who was born blind and all of a sudden he could see and it was an illustration of his claim that he was the light of the world. And then we had our, our friend Brett Fuller come and talk about how Jesus is the resurrection and the life. And as he talked about how Jesus resurrected Lazarus from the dead, you guys will never forget that, right? Of Lazarus laying here all wrapped up. And anyways, um, that man can preach is all I'm saying. Um, and so we learned that Jesus is the life giver. And so as we've walked through the first half of the Gospel of John, we've learned a lot about the glory and greatness of Jesus. But what we are going to see in chapter, as we look at the second half and starting in chapter 13, is, is that it, the, the book shifts. It shifts from his public ministry and it shifts towards his private ministry. In fact, for the next few chapters, for the next four chapters, we're going to get a lot of insider information. How many people like insider information, right? You just don't like buy stocks on it, right? Because that'll send you in jail, to jail. Like, anyways, I don't need to. But we like insider information. We like to be in the know. And what we get starting in chapter 13 is we get very, we get insider information into the private ministry of Jesus as he turns to begin to prepare his disciples for life in his physical absence. By the way, if I feel like, it, how's, how do I sound? I sound okay to you guys? Okay, all right, good. All right. As we get ready to uh, learn about how he prepares them for life in his physical absence. So for the next three weeks, we are going to get insider information of what he tells his disciples that they must know and must understand if they are going to thrive and be kingdom builders in, the, in, in, the, in his post-ascension um, as he ascends into heaven and leaves the kingdom, so to speak, with them to expand and to represent. Well, the topic we're going to look at tonight is a topic that is absolutely necessary. In fact, the topic we're going to look at tonight was probably the greatest tool that he was going to give them to fulfill their mission, he's going to say. And it's probably one of the, the greatest protections for their vitality in the mission that he's leaving them. So if they don't have this, one, they're going to struggle to be fruitful. And two, their vitality is going to be compromised. In fact, I'll say this. What we're going to talk about tonight is probably the number one thing that sinks missions teams among unreached people groups. Because this thing is the thing that they struggle with that sinks their, their mission. It's probably one of the greatest things that hinders churches and fellowships from, from fulfilling the mission that God has for them where they're at. And it's probably one of the greatest reasons why people don't find the gospel attractive. And you say, what is it? And I would say, I'm so glad you asked. Turn in your Bibles to John 13. 
In fact, I'll go ahead and tell you the answer and then we'll unfold it for the next few minutes. Here's the answer. Here's the thing that sinks missions teams and and compromises the missions of churches. In fact, I was hearing a conversation. I had a conversation right before this that I'm like, wow, this is so relevant to that church and actually keeps the gospel from looking as attractive as it should. And it's this. It's how we love each other. It's how we love each other. Now, I know you may have been looking for something more profound, but can I tell you, there really isn't much that's more profound than us learning how to love each other. Okay, um, I want to walk through four things tonight. I'll just give you those four things up front. We'll walk through them quickly. Number one, we're going to talk about the example of how we are to love each other. Number two, we're going to talk about the importance of how we love each other. Number three, we're going to talk about the power of loving each other. And number four, we're going to talk about a couple necessary things if we are going to love each other well. Okay, does that sound good? So you are in John chapter 13, and I'm going to start in verse 1. It was just before the Passover festival, Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave the world and to go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the, in the world, he loved them to the end. In other words, what we're going to read about is a picture of his loving them to the very end. Verse 2. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Okay, there's some things that I want to uh, to help you understand. Number one, the meal is in progress, and that has a huge implication for what we're getting ready to read. You say, why? Here's the reason why. Because if they are sitting at the table, first of all, they didn't sit at the table like we would sit at the table with our feet firmly planted in front of us and our elbows not on the table and yeah, all that stuff, right? No, actually what they would do is they would sit on cushions in what was called a triclinium and they would sit with their feet behind them and they would lean on their left elbow and eat with their right hand. And so they were very, very close. And th- this is what it means. Their feet should already be clean, okay? Because the meal is being served. Because in this day, okay, here's what would happen. You would walk almost everywhere you went unless you had a nice camel or what, you know. Anyways. And in those days, if it was very dry, the roads would be extremely dusty. In fact, there could be inches of dust on the road. And if it was wet, guess what that turned into? Mud. So it was impossible. Yes, thank you very much. Okay. It, it was impossible for you to go out and not get dirty feet because your shoes were a lot like Chaco's, except they were a lot cheaper, right? And probably last longer. Anyways, anyways. Um, and so when you would arrive someplace and when you'd arrive at a house, there would typically be a basin. Go ahead. And, uh, I'll take the basin and, and Talia, if you can help me out. Uh, Sarah did not know she was going to be my helper. Okay, thank you. Wow, we've got wheels on this thing. That's great. All right, here we go. And so there'd be a basin and and some water that would be right by the door when you would show up. And here's what would happen. Typically, if there were servants in the house, the lowest servant would come and wash the feet of the people who just showed up. Okay, so in fact, this was such a menial task that Jewish servants were not forced to do it. Only Gentile servants were forced to do it. And of course, if there's no servants around, then everybody stands around and wonders who is the one who's going to be at the bottom of the pecking order and wash feet. But what we have is 
that the disciples are sitting at the table and everyone's feet are dirty. Now, here's the, if you read the, the other Gospels, what you'll learn is this. In Luke 22, he talks about this, that on their way to this meal, as they were getting their dirty feet, they were actually having an argument. You know what they're arguing about? Who is the greatest among them? And so Jesus is overhearing them argue about who is the greatest among them. Of course, then they come, they walk in the door and there's a basin and there's a towel and there's water and no one is moving to pick up the towel. And so they go and seat themselves at the table with dirty feet. See, they were so fixated on who would be the greatest. In fact, some of them actually had their mom go to Jesus and say, hey, can you uh, get my kids to sit at your right and left when you enter into your kingdom? Because here's the thing, they're still focused on glory and power. They're still focused on the kingdom of Adam. On the kingdom that is all about glory and all about power. And what they're not understanding is this, that the kingdom of Jesus, the kingdom of, that he is ushering in, the kingdom of God, is actually a kingdom where power is expressed through sacrifice. And humility is exalted. It's an upside down kingdom. And so there sit the disciples with their crusty, dirt caked feet, all waiting for who will be the first one to budge. Let's read verse 3. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power. And that he had come from God and was returning to God. Okay, so Jesus knows that the Father has put all things under his power, that he is, had come from God, that he's going to God. So what would you expect the next thing to be? So he looked over to Thomas and said, get up, dude. And he ordered somebody to wash the rest of the disciples' feet. And everybody found out who was the lowest of the pecking order. And it was who they thought. No, that's not... That's what you would expect, right? But I know many of you have already read the story, so you kind of already have the spoiler. But the point is, that is what would have happened in the world, in the culture. But here's what Jesus does. So he got up from the meal. He took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he began to pour into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. What a moment. <laughs> I mean, here, here's Jesus, the one who came from God, who's going back to God, who has all authority of heaven and earth that has been given to him. And what does he do? He takes on the most menial position that he could have possibly taken on and he gets the basin and he gets the water and he gets the towel and I am sure the disciples get uncomfortable. And isn't it an amazing picture of the incarnation? I mean, think about it. This is like the gospel in this one event. Jesus who gets up from his heavenly throne, so to speak, who takes off every privilege of deity, who wraps himself in humanity, and he stoops to wash feet on the cross. It's a picture 
of the gospel. He doesn't do this in spite of being Lord. He does it precisely because he is Lord. This is who he is. This is what greatness in his kingdom looks like. And he begins to wash feet. And then he has this awkward moment where he comes to Peter's feet, right? Because everybody's like, oh man, Thomas, I told you you should have done it. (laughs) They're all mad at Thomas, right? I told you, man, we're all waiting for you. And now Jesus is doing it. And uh, here's what he says. When he came to Simon Peter, verse 6, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, do you not realize what I'm doing? Are you, I'm sorry, you do not realize what I'm doing, but later you'll understand. No, said Peter, you'll never wash my feet. Now here, let's give Peter a little credit. In all of Jewish and Greek history, there is, we need to understand this. There is not one account of a superior washing the feet of an inferior. Not one account. This is unheard of. And so Peter is rightfully very uncomfortable in this moment because they live in a very stratified culture. And there's not one account of this happening. So Peter's like, no, 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 no. You can't do this, Jesus. And of course, what, listen to what Jesus says. Unless I wash you, you have no part with me. In other words, he's wanting to make sure that Peter understands That his relationship with Jesus isn't based on what he does for Jesus. But his relationship with Jesus is about what Jesus does for him. And unless he washes Peter, there is no relationship. It's about what Jesus does, not about what Peter does. And so Peter, being the passionate guy he is, he's like, okay, then give me a shower. Right? (laughs) It's just one of those funny moments, you know. He's like, okay, then. He goes, okay. This is the example that has reverberated through 2,000 years of church history. Of will we follow the example of our Lord and sacrificially serve? Not just sacrificially serve, but serve certain people. And we're going to find out what that means. Okay, verse 12. When he had finished being Jesus, washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you? He said to them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so. That is who I am. That is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. As I have set an example that you should do as I have done for you. Okay, in this moment, as Jesus sits down, here's what we need to remember. There's one person whose feet's still dirty. Who would that be? Jesus. Now, what do you expect Jesus to say? What I have done for you, now what you do for me. That's what you'd, and if they would have done it, I bet there'd been 11 men jumping and fighting over the bowl and the towel. Would you guys agree? Like, no, 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 I got it, I got it, you know. They're going, trying to get to the towel and the bowl. But that's not what Jesus says. He doesn't say, okay, now it's your turn to wash my feet because they would have all lined up for that. Here's what he says. Instead of, let me tell you you how to wash my feet. You're actually going to wash my feet by what? By washing each other's feet. That the way you wash my feet, in other words, the way you love me will be expressed by the way you love each other. And I know this doesn't go with our American individualism very well. 
Because we just want to love Jesus. It's just me and Jesus. And Jesus doesn't let you. He's like, no, 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 no. You can't disconnect those two. You can't. You've got to connect the dots between loving me and loving my people. Those two have to come together. And so Jesus is essentially saying the way you wash my feet is through washing each other's feet. And when he says this with his own feet still dirty, he takes the priority of community and what it means to be his people and he puts it right into the center of our faith. Not as a nice little add-on if you need some people because everybody needs friends. No, he says, this is crucial for what it means to be in my kingdom. That means to be in a relationship where you wash each other's feet. And so in that statement, we find the importance of how we love each other. I'd like to take just a couple minutes to talk about the power of loving each other before we talk about how we love each other or what it will take. Let's talk about the power of loving each other. In verse 17, here's what Jesus says. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Jesus says this, if you wash each other's feet, you'll be blessed. How many people want to be blessed? Anybody here want to be blessed? Anybody here not want to be blessed? Because I can tell you how to not be blessed. Don't do it. (laughs) No, I don't want to wash your feet. I don't want to be blessed. Jesus says this, if you want to be, you will be blessed if you wash each other's feet. When I was reading this, I was reminded of uh, Psalm 133. Listen to this psalm. How good and pleasant it is when when God's people live together in unity. It is like the precious oil poured on the head. In other words, this. When God's people love each other well and they live in unity, it's like This is a picture he actually talks about poured on the head, down the beard, down the robe, Aaron's beard, okay? And Aaron was a priest. And in that day, when you became a priest, they would anoint you with oil. And that anointing of oil was representative of the Holy Spirit. And and what the psalmist is saying is when God's people live in unity together and wash each other's feet and love each other well, that he will bless it with pouring out his spirit and bringing the anointing of the spirit upon that community, Wow. And then it concludes this, this, if you guys want to read a psalm, read this psalm. It's three verses. You can do it before you go to bed. It says this, the last verse, for there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. He, it's like he sees this. He's like, oh, look at my kids. Look at that. Look at that core group or look at that house or look at those friends. They're loving each other for my sake. They're walking in such a way that they're washing each other's feet. I'm going to bless that. I remember I used to uh, drop off my kids to elementary school and my son Ian was in fifth grade and my daughter was in first grade. And when Ian would get out and open the door and walk in next to his sister as the big brother, as the father, I'm like, oh, those are my kids. Look at them. The point is when the father sees his kids loving each other well, he's like, I want to bless that. I'm going to pour out my spirit on that. So what is the power of it? The power is it brings blessing. Let me give you one more way that 
Jesus speaks of the power. How about verse 34 and 35? After he washes their feet, they're still at the meal. He says this, A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. Now that teaches us something about love right there. Must. That means that love is not an emotion. Love is a choice, right? You don't have a choice if you're going to love each other. You must love each other. Okay. And then he says this, By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. In other words, there's going to be something about the way you love each other that will say, you belong to me. I was, uh, in fact, for years I've thought about who Jesus chose as his 12 disciples. I mean, think about this. Think about who Jesus chose. Think about the ideological backgrounds that these 12 disciples had. Number one. We have Matthew, the tax collector. Okay. So, a tax collector is functionally supporting the Roman Empire, collecting the taxes for the Roman Empire, okay? So, you have one of the 12 disciples is a tax collector who's supporting the Roman Empire. Then he has Simon the Zealot. Do you know what the Zealot is all about? The Zealot's desire is to overthrow the Roman Empire. Okay? So you want to talk about different ideological backgrounds? Do you want to talk about different political persuasions? One is, is working for the flourishing of the, of the Roman Empire, functionally supporting it. The other is wanting to overthrow it with power. Then you have tax collectors. Um, I'm, I'm sorry. Then you have fishermen. Okay. So fishermen and tax collectors probably had a pretty odd relationship because guess who was waiting for them after the long day of fishing? The tax collector wanting his cut. And Jesus is, he, he says, oh, okay, I'm going to build my kingdom. I'll, give me the tax collector. Give me the zealot. We'll see how that works. And then I'll take a few fishermen and we're going to come together. And here's what's going to happen. My kingdom is going to so transform them that these guys are going to love each other. And when people see them loving each other and washing each other's feet, people will know they're the real deal and there's something about Jesus. I mean, think about this. Jesus could have easily gotten 12 tax collectors. He could have gotten 12 zealots. He could have gotten 12 fishermen. But Jesus gets people from different ideological backgrounds, brings them together and says, now I want you to wash each other's feet. And as you do, people will know that you're mine. And can I just say, that I believe we have a long way to go as the capital C church in our country when it comes to this. And I hope we as a fellowship will model this on grounds where people will say, look at them and the way they wash each other's feet, the way they love each other. With their unique backgrounds, they wash each other's feet. Our witness is strongest when it's in community. So do you, what is the power of this? Power of loving each other? One, will be blessed. Number two, our witness will be strong when it's in community. This past month, I read this book called In the Name of Jesus. It, it's a book by an author by the name of Henry Nowen. And Henry was a professor at Yale and Harvard. And... Uh, 
<laughs> and he, uh, he quit. He actually left his professorship at Yale and Harvard. I don't know which one he was at second. I think he actually taught at Notre Dame as well, but why not? The trifecta. But he quit, and he actually did something very, very unusual. He quit his post of professorship at the School of Divinity, and he went and worked at a place called Dayspring Community in Toronto, Canada, which was for the mentally impaired. In fact, um, it was a place where every, every, every person there had special needs. And that's how he chose to spend his career. And he talked about how the people there taught him to love and how he grew more like Jesus as he was there. And so he would, you know, having his credentials and doing what he did, he got a lot of speaking opportunities. And, and the Dayspring community decided that anytime he went to go speak somewhere, that they were going to send somebody with him. Because what they read is that Jesus sent them out two by two. And so they're like, Henry, when you go somewhere, why don't you take someone with you? And so there was this guy there by the name of Bill Van Buren. And Bill had a little bit more language skills, able to speak more than many of the, uh, of the residents at the day. Uh, I'm sorry, I said day spring is daybreak community. He had, he had more language skills. And so uh, Henry was invited to go speak to a pastor's conference in Washington, D.C. And so he... And the community decided that Bill would go with him. And so he asked Bill, Bill Van Buren, would you go with me to go to this uh, speaking engagement? And so once Bill realized that he was going, he would keep saying to Henry, we're going to do this together. And Henry said, yes, we're going to do this together. And so they get on the plane and Bill's like, we're doing this together. And he's like, yes, Bill, we are doing this together. And so they walked in. Actually, you may have been to this place. It was at the Clarendon in Crystal City. Okay. They walk into the Clarendon Crystal City and he talks about how there's fountains there and Bill's just mesmerized by the fountain. And, and then he, they go into the ballroom and, and it's a majestic ballroom and all the clergy are sitting there and they then introduce uh, Henry to, to come up as the guest speaker. And when Henry gets up to be the guest speaker, he says, well, I didn't travel alone. Bill is here with me. And so he introduces Bill to the, to, the, to the audience. And then what he sees as he is speaking is Bill's coming up to the stage. He has no idea what Bill's going to do when he gets up there. And Bill comes and stands beside him. And he says that whenever I would finish with a page of my notes, I would hand it to Bill and Bill would take it and turn it over and put it on the table next to me. And then when I would say something he heard me say at the resident facility where they lived, Bill would say, ha, I've heard that one before. <laughs> like a lot of my staff probably, but. <laughs> and so, so he was kind of commentating on Henry's uh, talk as Henry would give, actually the talks he gave are in this book, okay? And so this is actually from the epilogue and the prologue. And so you, it does pay when you read those. Okay, so anyways, the point is, Bill is giving commentary to, to the speeches that Henry's giving, these eloquent speeches that are really powerful and beautiful. And at the end, Everybody shows their appreciation for Henry's speeches. and Everybody claps. And then Bill, as they're clapping, steps forward to the microphone. And no one knows what's going to happen. And Bill steps forward and he says this as he stepped up to the mic. I'm happy to be with you. Thank you very much. And Henry says this. What I said in my speech would not be long remembered, 
but that Bill and I did it together would not easily be forgotten. And who can argue with that assessment? And Jesus says, by the way you love one another, they'll know you're mine. As the Harvard professor has his feet washed by the resident of the facility, and he turns and washes the resident's feet. Jesus says, There's, you'll see me. There is power when we love each other. I want to just take a couple minutes to talk about what is necessary for us to love each other well. In fact, I had a list of things that I truncated. I, I boiled it down to two things. I think if we do these two things, we'll go a long way. I, I, there's more to be added, but number one is this. We need to submit to our community. What do you mean by that, Pete? What do you mean we need to submit to our community? I'll, I'll just say this. If we are going to be the type of community that is a John 13 community, we need to be people who let people wash our feet and who are willing to kneel and to, and to get down on our knees and wash our brothers' and sisters' feet in return. Over my 20 years here at UVA, there's something that I've often seen, and it is this. There are people who are committed to the community, but don't readily submit to the community. Because to submit to the community would mean that they need to give up their critique of the community. And they would rather critique the community and how it falls short of their ideal community rather than truly submit to it and wash each other's feet. Here's what I can guarantee you, is that everyone in this room has dirty feet. <laughs> Mine among them. In fact, this week we had to get out Lysol and spray them in our shoes at our house because our feet were so stinky. We were at a football game when it downpoured and we got stinky feet. But the point is, is all of us have... So here's the point. We're always going to fall short of the ideal Christian community. Okay, can we just say that? Dietrich Bonhoeffer talked about this. I want to read a quote. This quote is so powerful. He says this, Every human wish dream that is injected into the Christian community is a hindrance to the genuine community and must be banished if genuine community is to survive. He who loves his dream of a community more than the Christian community itself becomes a destroyer of the latter, even though his personal attentions may be ever so honest and earnest and sacrificial. When the morning mists of dreams about our community vanish, then dawns the bright day of Christian fellowship. Did you guys catch that? That sometimes we can have so many expectations on what Christian community should be like and how ours falls short that we love our ideal more than the real and it, and it hinders the real. 
But when we get rid of the, what he calls wish dreams and we embrace the community as it is, then the bright dawn of Christian fellowship will arise. So let me ask you a question. Have you truly submitted to your community? Have you knelt down so that your feet can be washed and so you can wash other people's feet? Or are you standing aloof with your socks on critiquing the community? I want to encourage us to be people who's truly submit and allow the community to form you to look more like Jesus because we all need to look more like Jesus. Would you agree with that? And as we do, we will wash each other's feet. So that's number one. We need to truly submit to each other. And then secondly, we need the community that, uh, we need to be a community that lives with the currency of grace. I've heard it said that um, Christian community is like two porcupines hugging. I've always liked that picture because um, it shows the inherent difficulties. <laughs> and our lives are defined by grace with Jesus. We, I mean, we sing about this, right? The blood of Jesus is enough for me. In other words, it's all about his grace. We are defined by his grace. And so then the question is, if we receive the currency of grace, will we give the currency of grace? Let me just say this. Our community cannot be one offense away from broken community. If we are, we will be in a very difficult place. Okay, so when we talk about the need for grace... Um, and forgiveness and so on. Here's what I know. We love the lecture. They're beautiful, but we hate the test. Anybody with me on that? I hate the test. You, you know why I hate the test? Because it's hard. One of the hardest tests you will take in the Christian life is forgiving. But we get a beautiful picture in this passage. Did you notice there was one disciple that was mentioned more than any other disciple in this passage? Before he washes anybody's feet, what disciples mentioned? Bible scholars. What disciples mentioned? Judas. And then, verse 11, Judas is mentioned again. Then he sits down. You know what the next several verses are about? How Judas will betray him. Judas is in the beginning, the middle, and the end. And guess what Jesus did? Washed his feet. I mean, I'm thinking if I'm Jesus, I'm passing those feet over. I won't let those feet get crusty and itchy. Actually, I probably wouldn't because they're back there. I'm going to take that toe. You know what I'm saying? I'm going to bend it under. I'm going to make him squirm. I was like, that's just a little bit of what you're going to give me. You know, that's what my flesh would want to do. Just keeping it real, right? You guys know what I'm talking about. That's not what Jesus does. What does Jesus do? Jesus washes his feet. And Jesus calls us to be people, a community that is characterized by the currency of grace. Let me ask you a question. In, these last, in the last month, have you 
apologized and asked anyone to forgive you in the past month? If you haven't, are you saying it's unnecessary? You haven't needed to. Maybe. Let me ask you another question. Have you forgiven anyone in the past month? I mean, truly forgiven them. As you have received, you have given. One of the greatest compliments I've gotten over my 20 years here was a backhanded one. (laughs) One of our interns, at the end of her time here on staff, she said, you know, one thing I've learned over this internship is how to apologize. Pete, you've taught me how to apologize. (laughs) You know what that means? I blew it many times over the internship. But the next day, I'd come in, and I'd say, you know what? I, I said this in the staff meeting yesterday. That was not kind, loving, and gracious, and I'm sorry for doing that. And as they say, apologizing is bad for the reputation, but good for the soul. And honestly, that was one of the best affirmations that I've gotten in 20 years, is that somehow she learned to apologize by being around me. My uncle says, I'm the sorriest person I know. You know, maybe. It's something that I want, I haven't mastered. It's not easy. It's humbling. But I want to encourage us to be people. If you haven't asked somebody to forgive you and apologized, and you need to, will you do it in the next 24 hours? Maybe it's somebody in your house. Maybe it's somebody in your core group. Maybe it's a friend. Maybe it's a parent. In the next 24 hours, will you do that? And then, if you need to forgive somebody, will you do that in the next 24? Just just forgive them. Like Jesus forgave you and washed your feet. I'm going to call up the worship team. I, uh, last week, I came into the office, and there was a stuffed animal in the office, which was a little bit of a sight that I didn't expect. It was a pink elephant. I was like, what's the pink elephant? And apparently, uh, Blake, who heads up our internship, and the interns have have this little thing going that if you have a hard conversation you need to have with another intern or staff person, I guess, or with Blake, that you bring the pink elephant into the conversation, and it's kind of like, yeah, we're going to have to have a hard conversation. (laughs) And I thought, man, I wonder how many houses need a pink elephant. How many core groups could use a pink elephant? Here's the point. Let's love each other well. Let's deal with our dirty feet. Let's be a community that models this kind of life together. And as we do it, here's the deal. Listen, guys, as we do it, Jesus said he will bless it. Jesus said that people will know we're the real deal. So let's submit to each other. Let's follow the example of our Lord. And as he said, the way we love him is by loving each other well, loving his children, loving your brother and sister in Christ. Let's stand. As we close, here's what I want us to do.
I want to have the worship team just play musically just for a second. And I want you just to find someone you're in community with and pray that we'll have this kind of community. The kind that loves each other for Christ's sake, that models our Lord, that washes each other's feet, that lives submitted, allowing them to form us to look more like Jesus and the kind of community that travels in the currency of grace. Freely, you've been, you've received. Freely give. I've washed your feet. Now wash each other's. Lord, help us to be that kind of community for your glory and your kingdom's good at UVA. As we're singing that song, I had a picture of over by the corner, the White House, where incense is arising as people wash each other's feet. In Grand Mark, people are washing each other's feet and incense is arising. Then done of accord, incense is arising as people wash each other's feet and at the porch and the strawberry patch and the orchard and, and the chateau and, and the bait shop. And, and incense is arising as people wash each other's feet. And over in the dorms, incense is arising as, as people wash each other's feet. And all around grounds, incense is arising. How is it arising? Because Jesus' people are loving each other well and he is being glorified. And as as this happens, people know, people know they belong to Jesus. And God says, I want to bless that. And people around say, there's something to that. May it be. May this week incense arise by the way we wash each other's feet. And may God bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you. May he be gracious to you and turn his countenance towards you. And may he give you peace in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Let's have a great week washing each other's feet. Amen? Amen. Let's follow Thank you for listening to the Chi Alpha at the University of Virginia podcast. For more information, you can visit our website, xaatuva.com.